Bouncing around. Drops! Think about Loa trying to make up for it. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! The Crimson Tide will not be denied. Welcome back into Second and 26, your dedicated Alabama podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Suttles, here to talk about all things Alabama football. Welcome in non-subscribers to The Athletic. This is your free edition of the podcast we give you every week. And I'm going to give you my obligatory standard response that uh, if you haven't already, which you probably have, but if you haven't already, you should join and subscribe to The Athletic. We're a great community. And we give you things like this to kind of whet your appetite in hopes that you would uh, take advantage of all the other great things that we have here up at The Athletic. For instance, at The Athletic this morning, my Suttles thoughts dropped on the college football page. And what that is, it's obviously a play on my last name, Suttles. And there's also, you know, Subtle Thoughts. So we named it Suttles Thoughts. And basically what I do is a little bit of film review Things I found interesting uh, from the previous week's game. Any trends that I see, any interesting quotes that I saw from players or coaches, and I give you a little social media Sunday stuff I found from over the weekend that I thought you might be interested in. So if you haven't already, please check that out. Of course, you can catch me on WJOX 94.5 Monday through Friday from 10 to 2. And uh, you can catch me here every Monday and every Friday, and we'll be doing that throughout the season. Uh, Nick, Alabama rolls in its home opener on a scorcher. What a hot day it was there in Tuscaloosa. But Alabama gets the big win. Uh, Nice day for Tua Tonga-Valoa, 16 of 24, 227 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, Mac Jones even got in on the action, uh, throwing a touchdown as well. Uh, the rushing game numbers look pretty good. If you just like the numbers, and if you just like looking at the raw numbers, then you don't really have any issues. You know, like, for instance, if you didn't watch the game, if you just looked at the box score, it looked like Alabama had a whale of a day rushing the football, which would probably lead to the opinion that, well, and the offensive line must have played pretty well. We spent the first week of the season, uh, you know, sort of wailing and gnashing of teeth over the state of the offensive line. And, and you know, looking at these totals, they must have, been, must have performed pretty well. Alabama rushed the ball 32 times for 318 yards. Yes, that's about 10 yards a carry. So uh, when you average a first down every rush attempt, it must be pretty good. Well, let's look behind the numbers. Let's look what what in what went into the numbers. And what went into the numbers on the very first play of the game, Henry Ruggs takes a pass from Tua Tungvaloa, 75 yards for a touchdown. It was ruled a lateral, and therefore it was ruled a rush. So that's not really a rush. So let's subtract 75 yards from the total. Uh, we saw Tua Tungvaloa scramble for a nice little nifty touchdown run up the middle. 25 yards. That was a called pass play. Let's subtract that from the rush. And uh, there was another big gain, and it came 
with a second and third string offensive line. When Keelan Robinson, the true freshman out of the Baltimore, Maryland area, he went uh, 74 yards for a touchdown. And that kid, as Nick Saban so uh, eloquently put it when he was asked about Keelan Robinson, Nick Saban said, he's got the juice. He's got a little juice. Well, yeah, we we saw the juice from Keelan Robinson on that one because that kid is quick. We're not going to subtract that one, though, because that, I mean, that was the offensive line that helped him get that. But it wasn't the first-team offensive line. There were backups in there. Pierce Quick, the true freshman, five-star offensive lineman was in at that point. Darian Dalcourt was in at that point. So while we're not going to subtract it for the total, we're not going to give the starting offensive line credit for that one. So if you you subtract all those those three runs, which is a 75-yarder, a 74-yarder, and Tua Tungvalu's 25-yarder, then you get a more accurate depiction of how the starting offensive line performed. And at times, it just it wasn't good. It's not what you expect an Alabama offensive line to give you versus New Mexico State, one of the worst defenses in FBS, a team that allowed 58 points to Washington State in week one. You would expect Alabama to be able to run at will. And that ain't what happened. And now two weeks in a row against less than stellar competition, Alabama's had trouble running the football. What to make of it? That's what we're left to ponder. And I started thinking about this today, and it was probably on more of a philosophical level. But Alabama fans are so used to striving for perfection that they almost go out of their way to look for a negative as if they're looking for what that one flaw would be. What, what's one thing that would trip Alabama up on a way to a championship? That's the way Alabama fans sort of have become programmed. And so a byproduct of that is taking issues, and I'm not going to deny, offensive line is an issue. It is. I'm not going to downplay it. I'm not going to deny it. But what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to put it into context for you. Is it a problem? You're darn right it's a problem. They're still moving guys around. Uh, They still don't have their full complement of offensive linemen. One of them's injured in Emil Ikior. Another one's still suspended in Deontay Brown. Brown will be suspended for another two games. So what I'm trying to do is put it into context for you. I'm not going to deny that the offensive line is not an issue, and I'm not going to try to downplay it. But what I'm going to do is put it into context. So one of the byproducts of you looking for any potential flaw that could trip you up against a hypothetical opponent is that you sort of overreact to it. Like, the offensive line is an issue. But is it as big an issue as we're making it? Is our hunt for this flaw so intense that we play it up in our mind? Because in our mind, we think of the worst case scenario, which is this one area of the team could get us beat versus X, Y, Z. And you just you put that team in there. Whether it be Clemson, whether it be Georgia, heck, whether it be Auburn at the end of the year, who knows? I mean, fill in the blank of whatever hypothetical team scares you 
that's where you are in this. And I think because of that, we overestimate the problem. Is it a problem? Yes, it's a problem. It's a problem that you don't you still don't have a center that you feel really confident in. It's a problem that one of your best guards still isn't eligible for two more games. It's a problem that your left guard, an immensely talented five-star player, Evan Neal, is still reacting a little slowly. He's getting beat a little bit. I talked to Cole Kublik today about that, that very issue. And, you know, Cole's an authority on the offensive line. And he told me right now Evan Neal is thinking too much. That it's not a problem of uh, him lacking the ability or the skill to play to play guard. And by the way, Evan Neal is going to be a tackle. So he's playing out of position one. So take that into account when we break down his game. But that he's right now, he's he's thinking too much. He's processing too much and it's causing him to think and not, not react as quickly as as one would hope. So that's where you are with, with Evan Neal. So there are issues on this offensive line. Nick Saban, last week during his coach's radio show on Thursday night, says he feels like Alabama has seven starters. But there's only five positions to start. But he said, we have seven starters. But I think what he means by that is we, we got enough guys that we feel good enough that no matter where we put any of those guys, we feel like, they're all starters. They'll all perform as starters. But it ain't producing like we thought it would. And maybe our expectations were high because we just saw the bodies. We saw how highly rated they were as recruits. We saw the competition. We heard the, the, the stories of how good this offensive line would be. And maybe we overestimated. And I'm part of that. Because I'm going to – I'll own it. I thought this would be a dominant Alabama offensive line. I thought this unit would be dominant. And through two games, they haven't been. That doesn't mean that they can't get there. That doesn't mean that by the end of the season, they won't be there. Talk to Matt Stinchcomb today. He's a former offensive lineman for the Georgia Bulldogs. He's an analyst at the SEC Network. And he said he's not really worried about the Alabama offensive line. And I thought that was a a fairly stunning statement, given the fact that he just he just did the color commentating on the game over New Mexico State. He saw the issues that were there, but he had an interesting reason for not being as worried about the offensive line as maybe you are at home right now, and that's because he doesn't even think Alabama begins to form an identity as an offensive line until Deontay Brown comes back. He said everything before Deontay Brown comes back is just window dressing. And it's just coaches playing around with different lineups, trying to see what players work best at what position. He's he's probably not wrong. You know, there was a couple weeks back when I thought, and again, this is holding myself accountable for what I thought about this offensive line. A couple weeks back, I thought, you know, Deontay Brown's going to have a hard time getting his job back. Remember, Deontay Brown wasn't a starter for all of last year. They didn't, he didn't get inserted into the starting lineup until the Tennessee game. So you're talking well into October before Deontay Brown 
was a starter at left guard. But when he comes back, are they going to move Evan Neal? They're not going to move a true freshman who's still learning a position to the right side, are they? They wouldn't do that. You got to think with that you would leave a true freshman where he is to continuing to let him evolve at that position. So you kind of think, all right, well, if, if the left side is set and there's Alex Leatherwood at left tackle and there's Evan Neal at left guard, well, maybe he'll go to right guard because right guard's been a revolving door so far. We've seen Landon Dickerson. We've seen Matt Womack. It's a place where they don't really have anybody that cemented themselves into that position. So a couple couple weeks ago, I'm thinking, is I'm hearing these stories about how well Landon Dickerson's doing, and I'm hearing these stories about how well Emil Ikior's doing. I'm thinking Deontay Brown's kind of a difficult time getting his job back. And now a couple weeks later, I'm thinking, man, Alabama really needs Deontay Brown to come back. These things change quickly. <laughs> Emil Ikior's been hurt. Emil Ikior, may, may, he may be the, the man left out. Maybe Chris Owens is the man left out. He did not play on Saturday. Nick Saban said after the game that he had an injury. The backup senators, Emil Ikior. Both of those guys are out. So Landon Dickerson got the start at center. So there's been a lot of movement on the offensive line. And it is, I don't think it's over with yet because you heard me say a little earlier that, that Darian Dalcourt was in the game for that long touchdown run against Keelan Robinson. Uh, Darian Dalcourt was also in the game last week for Brian Robinson's long 37-yard touchdown run against Duke. Now, I'm not going to make too much of it because I don't know whether Darian Dalcourt was going up against the first-team defense or was going up against the second-team defense. All I know is that when Darian Dalcourt's in the game, Alabama running backs have a little, have a little room. I think Darian Dalcourt has a chance to be a really good offensive lineman. I don't know whether it's going to be this year or not, but watch out for him because when he's gotten in the game, he's played well. Could he factor in at center? Because when he gets in the game, we've seen some explosive runs by Alabama running backs that we don't see when he's not in the game. I don't know. Is Landon Dickerson the long-term answer at center this year? I don't know, but they got Chris Owens has, has gotten a start. Now Landon Dickerson's got a start. But Matt Stinchcomb got my attention when he said, it doesn't matter until Deontay Brown comes back. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. That will be game five of the regular season. And we'll see what sort of conditioning Deontay Brown is in when he comes back. But maybe that's what this offensive line needs. Just keep an eye on that as we're, we're sort of blowing this offensive line thing out of proportion because we're searching for anything, something that might trip up this Alabama team that's been dominant through two games and uh, probably going to be pretty dominant this week against South Carolina on the road against a, uh, a freshman quarterback because Jake Bentley, out for the year. Jake Bentley got that surgery on his foot. So a uh, freshman that, uh, that came in the game actually played pretty well. I think he was 24 or 30. This weekend over Charleston Southern, Nick Saban really praised him today. But not really what you, not really an ideal environment for him to uh, to play his second game uh, as a starter when he's got to face Alabama. Uh, if you're a fan of how the athletic tells stories, you're gonna love the new YouTube channel we're launching. 
where tomorrow, September 10th, we're going to be posting a great three-part video series on Alabama football coach Nick Saban. In it, the coach opens up about his life after football and the aftermath of his most bruising defeat. It's definitely a must-watch for all Alabama fans. Did you notice who got the start at safety on Saturday against New Mexico State? Jordan Battle. Now, you're probably a little confused because Jordan Battle changed numbers between week one and week two. I I wish players would just keep the same number throughout the season because it can get terribly frustrating for fans who who don't follow this for a living. I mean, it's my job to know every little minute detail, to know that Jordan Battle changed his number to number nine. But if you just watched week one and you saw Jordan Battle make an interception against Duke, and then you're looking for him week two, he's got an entirely different number on, regardless of that. So maybe that's why you didn't notice. But Jordan Battle got a start. And everything that I've been told behind the scenes about Jordan Battle is that this kid is the future at safety for Alabama. Is the future this year? I mean, he started versus New Mexico State, but I don't want to be, I don't want to make any bold, bold proclamations about this year. I just know I think he's going to be a star. I wrote, I wrote as much in this week's Subtle Thoughts. I think Jordan Battle is going to be a star. Watch that name. Watch that number. Because Alabama's secondary is pretty good this year. They got versatility. They got athletes. And as long as they stay healthy, this is going to be one of the better secondaries in college football. They're not getting the attention that that LSU or Georgia or heck, just for argument's sake, let's throw Texas in there because Texas got in that little back and forth with LSU this past week about who the real DBU is. Let them battle out who's the real DBU, whatever. There wasn't much defensive back playing on that game, though, on Saturday night as both teams threw for about 1,000 yards combined. But nevertheless, Alabama's secondary is not getting the attention as those, those other units, and that's fine. But they got versatility, and they got pretty good depth. And as long as they stay healthy, particularly at corner, they're fine. Because I thought what really went unnoticed that hurt Alabama last year was when Trayvon Diggs got hurt. When he went out for the season, they had to make Savion Smith a starter again. And we all see, we all saw what happened to Savion Smith in the national championship game. Um, they they missed Trayvon Diggs, and I'm sure there were people on Saturday that weren't thrilled, had their hearts skip a beat when Trayvon Diggs had to be literally carried off the field, not on a stretcher, but he had to be carried off the field with severe cramps. So all I'm saying is that the secondary is loaded. And they're, they're versatile. Patrick, Patrick Sertan, the second, can play corner. He can play star. Shaheem, corner, um, Shaheem Carter, rather, can play the star. He can play safety. Now you got a true freshman in Jordan Battle who played, who played safety fairly well. And Nick Saban, during his Monday press conference, was asked about, about Jordan Battle and why he got the start. And basically... He said, we just wanted to get him some experience. This is where Alabama is in this schedule right now. They're able to treat these games because, because they're so much better than the teams they're playing. And quite frankly, the schedule's kind of garbage to begin the season. Not, not South Carolina, 
But against New Mexico State, you're able to get guys looks who you think that can, can be major contributors for your team this year. You can get a true freshman Jordan Battle into the starting lineup to see what sort of plays he made. And I thought he played the ball pretty well, especially in run support. I think he was a natural athlete. It backed up everything that I've been hearing about him behind the scenes. I just marked the name down. I think he's going to be Alabama's next great safety. Like he's, I think he's that good of a player, and that's just where Alabama is right now. As long as they stay healthy in the secondary, they're good. And it, just where it is with this with this schedule and with this team right now, that they can treat regular season games as sort of practice, as sort of scrimmages to get guys experience. And speaking of that schedule, Nick Saban was asked during his post-game press conference on Saturday about the value of playing a team like New Mexico State, about what he could learn or if he could learn anything about his team or if or if his team could use it, that opportunity to get better. And if he felt that a game against New Mexico State or a team of its ilk could help his team get ready for the Southeastern Conference games that's going to be facing it. And Nick Saban did not appreciate that question. It kind of flies in the face of everything that Nick Saban stands for in terms of the process, and we all know what the process is, and we've heard it, and we can repeat it, and we could probably get it tattooed. I mean, we know it. We know it. It's not about your opponent. It's about you taking advantage and getting better every snap. It's not about the color of the jersey or the name of the team across from you. It's about maximizing your opportunity to get better. So for Nick Saban to be asked that, I could tell as soon as the question was asked, this is going to get entertaining. And Nick Saban was somewhat composed, but I think he felt a little attacked in the question and started off saying, listen, you can get better regardless of who you're playing. If you, if you practice the right way, if you prepared the right way, and if you go out and compete the right way, it doesn't matter who you're playing against. It's about you. So there was that aspect of it. And then Nick Saban basically laid out what he said many, many times about what he wants in a schedule. And he said, if it were up to him, he would play 12 games against all Power 5 competition. That if it were up to him, he'd want to play 10 SEC games and then two other out-of-conference games against teams from other Power 5s. And then he basically told the reporter, if you think it's so easy to schedule, because we've tried and we can't get anybody to come here and play us, if you think it's so easy, pick up the phone, call an athletic director, get them agree to pay, uh, get them agree Get them to agree to play us, and we'll play them. So that's where it is. Nick Saban doesn't want to hear anything about scheduling. He says he can't control it. Now, that's a, it's difficult to believe that Nick Saban can't control Alabama's schedule, but what I think he meant by that is he can't make other teams play him. And I've told you before, I'll tell you again, you may not believe me, but I know it's true. Alabama didn't want to play Duke in the season opener. Alabama wanted a little more challenging game than Duke in the season opener. But for a myriad of reasons, which I can't get into on this podcast because it would be 
Um, there would be betraying sources and confidences and in, in, in all those things that reporters have. Alabama didn't want to play Duke. And they'd rather be playing better competition than New Mexico State. But it is what it is. And what it was was Alabama playing New Mexico State at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And Nick Saban's not happy about it. <laughs> Nick Saban's not happy about it. That's, uh, that's where we are. You can always follow me on Twitter. I actually welcome that you do. You can enter. It's a great way to interact with me. It's a great way to um, – my DMs are open. You can always submit story ideas on something that you've always wondered about but never have really gotten an, an answer for or an explanation or a topic explored. It's a great way for you guys to give me feedback. But you can follow me on Twitter at Aaron Suttles. Uh, coming later this week, we're going to have uh, another mailbag that we allow you guys to ask questions to me. I'll answer them. And then the best part of it is that I get so many great great questions from such smart listeners like you guys that I can't get to all of them. But the best part is I can include them in podcasts, which we do uh, every Friday. I include uh, your leftover questions that I don't have time to get to in the mailbag, and we include them in the podcast, which is always a fun element. Uh, Also this week, I got a story more in depth uh, I told you a little bit about what Matt Stinchcomb said. I told you a little bit of what Cole Kubik said about this offensive line. A little deeper dive into the offensive line, but uh, you know the tenets are basically the same. Is that they got some issues, but we might be blowing it out of proportion. So be on the lookout for that as well. Remember, the second and twenty-six drops every Monday and Friday. Uh, with Monday's release and episode being free on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All we ask you to do for that free 30 minutes of Alabama greatness is to rate us, is to subscribe, and I'd also appreciate you telling your friends about it. If you haven't subscribed to The Athletic yet, we got a great promotion going on that we'd love you to take advantage of. Theathletic.com backslash Roll Tide will score you 40% off your subscription. Uh, What a great deal, and we hope that you guys take advantage of it. I appreciate you listening to another edition of Second and Second.